Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor David, and it is my privilege to bring a message from God's Word to you, from the passage that Linton Phillips read to us. But before I dive into the sermon, I would like to say a few words about the business meeting, the annual business meeting that is coming up next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Sunday, June 14th, that is next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Now, as we have been announcing, as we have been announcing for several weeks now, uh, you know our summer schedule begins next Sunday, and as a result, we will have only one worship service at 10 o'clock. And so we will not be having the 9 o'clock worship service, which is right now, and also the 10.45 worship service. It's somewhere in the middle at 10 o'clock. And, and soon after the worship service, worship services are about 1 hour and 15 minutes, and soon after the worship services, quickly as we could gather back into the worship center, we will begin the business meeting. And there are four items on the agenda. New members will be voted in, elected positions such as the board of elders, the moderator and treasurer positions are uh, to be voted in, and the budget for the next year, there is a fiscal year that begins in, on, in July, uh, on July 1st, fiscal year 15-16, that's on the board. And the other one, of course, is the revision to the Constitution. By the way, which we haven't done since the founding of the church, but there have been some changes in the Evangelical Free Church of America uh, that they have changed their 12-point statement of faith into 10 points, which reads a lot better, and so we are adapting that. And in addition to that, there are a few other things that needed to be done, and again, some of which are uh, encouraged by the Evangelical Free Church of America, and, and please take a look at those. But here's the, th- the most important thing is this, you know, whereas only 126 members are needed for a quorum to start a meeting, that is 30, 30% of our membership, we need 226, almost twice as many people to vote to pass this revised constitution. Therefore, an appeal to the members, please consider this an uh, uh, important appeal to the membership of the church, Please make every effort to be at the meeting to vote. For some reason or another, you are unable to do so. Please find another member who could vote you, vote on your behalf by proxy. Because we need 226 votes to pass that. And the Elder Board has been working on this well over three years. And, and finally it's here, so please uh, make that a priority. And the business meeting packets were put in members' mailboxes, church mailboxes at the back of this building that was done last Sunday. So if you haven't done so already, please pick it up as well and read it and familiarize yourself with the material so that you could vote and exercise your right as a member of this church. Are we good with that? Okay, so please consider that as an appeal to all the members of this church. Now, back to the sermon. Now, we have been studying 1 Corinthians since January, believe it or not. It's, it's going to be well over five and a half, six months. And have you been liking it? It has been an in-depth study. And obviously, Pastor Jeremy has been bringing the messages, most of the messages, week after week. And if you really like his messages and the study in First Corinthians, would you please give him a round of applause and to thank him for the effort that he has put into it uh, for the past uh, five and a half months or so. So thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for your hard work and the time that you put into preparing these messages uh, week after week. Now, a story is told 
of a church that was conducting its annual fund drive. Some churches do that. For example, they would have a fund drive for missions, or they would have fund drives or special projects. Not everything is part of the budget. So when they were having that congregational meeting, I guess it looks like in this particular church that people will stand up and say how much that they were going to give. So one member of the congregation stood up and said, I give $10. Just then, a piece of plaster fell from the ceiling and landed on his head. Shaken up, he spoke quickly again and said, I give $1,000. To that the pastor said, Lord, hit him again. So this morning, I promise you that we are not going to do any fun drives. And hopefully nothing falls from the ceiling and that you would be safe. However, we are going to talk about financial giving, some principles of financial giving from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And you would find that if you are using the church Bible on page 1,223. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, on page 1,223. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now, any time we read a verse like this, we have to wrestle with several questions. Does it apply to us today? If so, how? If not, why not? For example, again, this was a letter that was written to a church, a very specific church in Corinth, to address a very specific situation And the idea is this now concerning is a phrase that the Apostle Paul had used about seven or eight times in 1 Corinthians to really answer the questions that the the Corinthians had asked of him. So a, 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 a legitimate question is this. Is it so specific to raising funds for the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem that it doesn't apply to us today? It's a good question. Or is it only about giving to the poor? Because the people in Jerusalem were so poor, so this was an offering for the poor, that it does not apply to the tithes and offerings we collect in our Sunday morning worship services. It's a good question. Because if it was, to be, if, if it was so, then what we could do... I'm sorry, I have it in the notes, but you know, that week, as soon as the sermon is done, we could all go home. Right? We don't have to wait for the offering to take place. Or is it about financial giving in general that it applies to us today, here and now, even at Midland Evangelical Free Church? So one has to wrestle with this question any time we read a verse like that. And I have taken the third position in interpreting this passage. That it is about financial giving in general, 
and that it applies to us today here even at Midland Evangelical Free Church. And here are my reasons. For example, the Greek word that is translated collection is used only here in the entire New Testament. The Apostle Paul had carefully chosen this word to avoid any misinterpretation that it might be a tax. tax. Okay? This is, this is one of the Greek words that has no connotations regarding taxes, let alone a repeated tax. For example, some of, you know, in town we have a, 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 a free Methodist church. It used to be in the Methodist church when, when, when people came into the worship service, they brought some money. It was a pew tax. I don't know how they did this. I don't know if somebody was standing in the, up, up in the front in, the, in one of the doors and collecting this money or not. I don't know how that was done. But they had to pay a pew tax to come into the worship center and to participate in the worship service. And the Methodists who did not like it said that we wanted to be free. That is free from pew tax. And therefore, from there on, in, so there was a breakaway from the Methodist church. They called themselves free Methodists, meaning that there is no longer a few tax. We are going to make it free. And that's where the free Methodists came about. Now, in some countries, by the way, I, I, I had visited one country that I heard from firsthand. So in Germany, for example, if you work and, and, and had an income, there was a tax that was deducted from your paycheck. Just like the you know, taxes are deducted for the FICA and you know, all of those different things. And there was a tax that was deducted from your paycheck and given to the Lutheran church. It is true even today. If you were born in Germany and you are a German citizen, there was a religious tax. And that was given over to the Lutheran church, which is where the Lutheran church began and that's how the Lutheran church funds itself. And it might be true in other countries as well. And so that's what Paul was concerned about because, because the Jewish people were under Roman control, Roman occupation, and they were putting heavy taxes on them. And so the Apostle Paul was very careful to say that this is not a tax. This collection is not a tax, let alone a repeated tax. Furthermore, if you study this particular Greek word in its context, again, it appears only once in the New Testament, and it's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we realize, we would realize several things. First, it is the gift of kindness and generosity. It is a gift freely given without expecting anything in return. In other words, this was a collection that was done and it was going to the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem and the people, Corinthians, who were giving and the Galatian churches who were giving expected nothing in return and therefore it is a gift. It is a generous gift as opposed to being stingy. We will talk about that as the sermon unfolds. Second, it is an act of meeting a need and bringing a blessing. In other words, there was a need. There were impoverished Christians in Jerusalem, and they were hungry, 
and they were perhaps going without clothes and there's no education for the kids. So, you know, whatever the case may be, there was a need that had to be met and it had to be met by Christians in Corinth, wealthy Christians in Corinth. And as a result, it brought blessing to those impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. And therefore, it is an act of meeting a need and bringing a blessing. Third, it is an act of fellowship, partnership, sharing, and solidarity with others. And you will see that here as well. For example, Paul begins by saying here, Now concerning the collection of the, for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. There were many churches in Galatia, not just one church. These were, most of the time, these were house churches. And therefore, there were several of them. And then here's the Corinthian church. As a result, you know, when Paul says you know, about this collection, he calls for this collection. He's calling for partnership, sharing, solidarity with other churches as a way to express Christian fellowship. And remember, read this one. As I directed the churches of Galatia means that he's not altering anything. No, no additions, no deletions, no alterations, no edits. It's the same principle that applied to Galatia. Now it applies to Corinth. And from Corinth, it applies to Midland Evangelical Free Church in 2015. He's a, developing a very general principle. And then finally, it is an act of service to God. For example, if you look at the very last verse of the previous chapter, chapter 15, verse 58, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. Talking about resurrection, and as a result of resurrection, in a therefore, as a result of resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the assurance that you will also be raised on the last, raised up on the last day, and he says, therefore, as a result of all of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and here's the phrase that I would like to, uh, to focus on, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Notice that I have highlighted the phrase on the screen, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And now, in the next verse, he comes back and talks about the work of the Lord, the work for the Lord, which is financial giving. This is an example of the work of the Lord that he was talking about. And therefore, you know, I want to give this particular definition to the financial giving that we, are, we, we will be talking about this morning so that we are all on the same page as to what we are talking. And here is it. Financial giving that is done voluntarily as a gift of kindness and generosity to meet a need and bring a blessing in partnership with others it's an act of service to God that honors and glorifies Him. That's the kind of financial giving that we would be talking about. It is voluntary, not under compulsion. It is not a tax. It is a gift of kindness and generosity. It meets a need and brings a blessing. It is done in partnership with others. And when we do all of that, it is an act of service to God that honors and glorifies Him. Regarding this particular financial giving, Paul gives three principles in these four verses. First, 
financial giving must be regular. Financial giving must be regular. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. Now the phrase on the first day of every week is loaded with significance. In fact, I found three of them at least. First, it is a Sunday. The day on which Jesus rose from the dead. After the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week, Christian gradually ditched the Jewish Sabbath day of Saturday and began to gather on Sundays for the breaking of the bread, fellowship and prayer, yes, also to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is a day of great religious significance in that it remembers and celebrates Jesus' resurrection. Therefore, our financial giving is tied to God's saving work through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what that phrase means. We give in gratitude for the work of God in Christ. Not under compulsion. Not involuntarily, but in gratitude for that work God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. Second, it is the first day of the week. Emphasis first. Meaning that we are to give the first fruits, the best, unblemished lamb. That's what the Jewish people gave in those times. They, they look at their you know, herds, whether they are sheep or you know, goats or whatever that they had. They gave the, the best ones, not the leftovers. They gave the unblemished ones, not the blemished ones. Even if they farmed and they, it was an agrarian society and they, they gathered all their harvest and then gave the, the best ones, not the leftovers. And that's what it means. So we have, we have the two things that we give out of gratitude for God, what God had accomplished in Christ Jesus. And the second one, we give the very best, the first fruits. And the third one is every week. The emphasis every week which emphasizes regular giving. Then notice the phrase. He says, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So that there will be no collecting when I come. What this means is, no impulsive giving at the last minute in response to tear-jerking stories and emotional appeals. He didn't want any of that. Some of us do give in response to emotional appeals and you know, tear-jerking stories and things of that kind. Paul would have nothing to do with that. In fact, Paul may have had lots of stories to tell from the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. But he would have none of that. No pressure, no gimmicks, no emotion. Instead, financial giving must be thoughtful, regular, and consistent.
Now, I'm standing here and preaching, and you want to know what I do, and you want to know that I live what I preach, so let me tell you my story. I did not grow up in a home that gave regularly to the church. My mom had passed away when I was small, so I remember very little about our family life before my mom's passing. My siblings and I were raised by a single dad. He was the only wage earner, so we didn't have much to give. As a result, we didn't give much. As a result, we didn't give regularly. Once in a while we gave, but not regularly, and I did not see my dad giving regularly to the church. Then I married Jan. Growing up in Sri Lanka, her family wasn't any better off financially than mine. But nevertheless, her family did give regularly to the church. As a result, she had learned the habit of giving regularly to the church. So when Jem and I got married, the very first thing, actually, it's, it's, it's amazing. The very first thing that she said to me was, as a newly married couple starting a new family, we should establish the habit of regularly giving to the church from the start and teach our kids to do the same. It's something that came way off from the left field. You know, I kind of mumbled, as, as very often that I do, who is this woman <laughs> trying to rearrange my life and mess with it, right? But soon, however, I yielded. At the time, I was a graduate student, kind of finishing up, only wage earner at the time, so our income was below the poverty line. Nevertheless, we made adjustments to our budget and began the journey of regular giving that has lasted now 27 years. For example, we didn't buy clothes unless we needed them. We rarely, if ever, ate out. Always content with the home-cooked meal. You know, speaking of rarely eating out, last time when I shared a story like this, you know, about Jim kind of making sure that I don't eat too much sugar and all of that, you know, hiding the ice cream and the cookies and all of that, you know, there were secret private investigators everywhere, <laughs> including here at the church, by the way, let me tell you two stories. All of a sudden, you know, the next day, Monday morning, I walk into the office and there was a spreadsheet from our accountant. And it said, Pastor David is going to have to sign off on this every day. If he ate something, he has to put what, what he ate. And it stayed there for a month or so. And uh, then here's another one, a funny one. You know, this was a mission Sunday. And so on the Saturday, we were all gathering together. We were focusing on the Tata people group. And, uh, and they were organizing their tables and putting you know, candies in the, in the middle, you know, things of that kind. And we were rehearsing the, uh, the prayer walk. And, and suddenly, you know, there was, a, there was a one candy, that's all. So 
I'm opening it. And I heard a voice say, David. And I turn around. The person says, what are you doing? I said, well, Jem is not here. So, <laughs> you know, it goes into my mouth. And, and then, you know, obviously this is graduation time, right? So I'm going to these graduation parties and, you know, coming up with something and, you know, sitting at the table and, and, and begin to eat. I mean, people are just watching. And, and, and I think, you know, finally, Jem felt so, you know, bad for me. She said, here, you can eat this one today. And so she gave it to me. So I did eat a cake the other day. Uh, but so... So all I'm saying, I'm saying all of that to say, you know, I, I do eat out sometimes, not always, but sometimes. So if you happen to see me in any of the restaurants or Jim and me in the restaurant, you know, things of that kind, please don't give that look. <laughs> but we have made adjustments because we are called to give regularly, thoughtfully, our first fruits. In fact, when we came to Midland Free, by the way, I didn't have this at the, in my former church, but when we came to Midland Free, Midland Free actually offers its staff the opportunity to deduct it from the paycheck. And I signed off on that. And so, my tithe is taken right off the top, and I take home the rest of it. And so I'm really grateful for that, that a church would do something like that because it made it all the more convenient. Because there's always this temptation, you know, there are always competing demands that come in our life. And in this way, it's gone, I have given it back to the Lord, and then I have to find ways to manage with the rest of it. So the first principle is that God instructs us to develop a habit of regular, consistent, and thoughtful financial giving. Secondly, he wants us to practice proportionate giving. And again, I find that in verse 2. And I have highlighted a phrase for you. It is, as he may prosper. Whereas the first principle was about when to give. The second principle about how much to give. The language the Apostle Paul uses is, as he may prosper. The Greek word that is translated prosper, no doubt describes prospering financially. It describes that. For example, how much money do I make? How much profit do I get? How much am, am I able to save? And as a result, how much am I able to give away? Absolutely, it covers the financial aspect of the church. But if we study this word deeper, which is what I did in preparation for the sermon, I came to the realization that this word covers all areas of prosperity. For example, do I enjoy good health? then I am prospering in the area of health. Do I experience and enjoy favorable circumstances in life? For example, at work. Is God blessing you there? 
then you are prospering in that area of your life. Do I get to live under a shade? Well, then God has made you prosper in that area of your life. If you are married and have a family, do they enjoy good health? Does your spouse enjoy good health? Does, do your children enjoy good health? Well, then your family is prospering. Are the kids doing well in studies, in sports, in their behaviors? Do you have kids behaving good? Well, God has made you prosper in that area of your life. Overall, do I get to live with laughter and song? It's a biblical phrase. Laughter and song. If so... How thankful am I to God for all His blessings in all of my life. And that determines how much I get. Not income. All areas of life. You know, as some of you know, if you had been here in 2011, Jim underwent an open-heart surgery to replace a valve. I am so thankful that she is alive. Every minute is a gift. Every day is a gift. That would determine how much I feel blessed and therefore how much I give. Both of my kids are walking with Christ. No issues have surfaced over the years that we, we have raised them, the youngest one is 20 and the older one is 25, going into 26. I am thankful for that. And the blessings that God is pouring out in their lives, and that would determine how much I give. My mother-in-law has lived with us pretty much the entire married life, maybe, maybe two years less, let's say call it 25 years or something like that, She is somebody who prays day in and day out, and she has supported me with her prayer. I'm grateful for that. And therefore, that would determine how much I give. You know, many think financial giving as transferring to the Lord some of my money, which of course is wrong. Instead, financial giving is about transferring the Lord some of His money. To begin with, God had given it to us. And that should be the right definition and attitude of financial giving. Therefore, how much I give would be proportionate to how much I think God had prospered me. Not just in finances, but in all areas of life, my life as a whole. It has nothing to do with giving in proportionate in proportion to my income. Neither does it depend on how much someone else gives. In other words, I do not decide on how much to give based on how much Mr. and Mrs. Jones gave. Therefore, here's an interesting thing. Technically, 
It is possible for a low wage earner to actually give more than a high wage earner. In fact, over the years of ministry, I have seen that happen. So the question now is, you know, where does this idea of tithing or giving 10% of your income come from? It actually comes from the Old Testament. So you will see in the next two slides, you know, I have gathered all the information that was available in the, in the Old Testament about 10% giving or the tithing. And let's talk about that for a second. We first read about this in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, where Abraham paid one-tenth to Melchizedek, king of Salem. Okay, in other words, Abraham, Lot, his nephew Lot has been captured by Sodomites, and so he goes there and rescues them, and he had some plunder and things of that kind, and then he runs into this guy, king of Salem, Melchizedek, and then he gives him 10% of all that he had captured, plundered. Then in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, we read, read that Jacob dedicated one-tenth to Jehovah, God. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 to 34, God commands Israel to give one-tenth of all possessions. Then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, God criticizes Israel for not bringing their whole into his house. Those are the 10% verses. But here are some things that perhaps you may not have known. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 27, we read about a second tithe the Israelites gave during the feast in Jerusalem. Then in the same chapter, verses 28 through 29, we also read about a third tithe the Israelite gave every three years for the poor. Furthermore, in Leviticus chapter 25, we required the Israelites to rest the land every seven years. This means not planting or harvesting anything, yet tithing on what they had. In other words, no income, yet tithing on what they had. Then every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, God commanded them to forgive all outstanding debt to one another. You know, according to one commentary, when all of this is calculated, about 25 to 40 percent of the income of a devout Jew was, devoted, was to be devoted to the Lord in one way or the other. So this, idea, so, I, so this idea about somehow the Old Testament required 10% is simply wrong. If anything, it is more than 10%. If you think that God is blessing you, has blessed your life only 10%, give 10%. But if God has blessed you more than 10%, then give Him more. The same commentary went on to say that questions such as how much should I give or should I base my giving on the gross income or a net income are probably intended to be how little can I give and still go to heaven. And I told you about our story, Gemini. 
for the 27 years of marriage, our 10% had gone to the church, not any place else, to the church. That church ministered to us. That church helped us in our spiritual growth. And it is in that church that we had relationships. They had come alongside of us and helped whenever that we, we were in need and things of that kind. That's where it went. Any support of missionaries or offering to special, you know, putting money to their special offerings and things of that kind have all come from extra money outside of that 10%. By the way, I, it is recently the elder board asked for all of us to consider tithing over our tithes, for example. I want to take this opportunity to thank you. Some of you have responded, and at, the, at that point when the elders made the appeal, we were looking at about 500,000 shortfall in deficit, which has now been reduced to about 250,000, 300,000 range. So I, I, I do want to thank you for rising up to the, uh, the call of the elder board and, 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 and doing uh, what, the, what the elder board uh, asked of, asked you to do. You know, here's the other interesting idea. A story is told of a man in the church who, who somehow made a covenant with, the, with this pastor. They were both young, in their early 20s, and they were making very little money. Both of them were making very little money, and therefore they made a covenant with each other that, that we would give 10% of their income to the church. So they were both young, again, not making enough money, so everything was fine, but things suddenly changed for this lay person. So the layman tied $1,000 the year he made $10,000. $10,000 the year he earned $100,000. And $100,000 the year he earned $1 million. But the year he earned $6 million, he just could not bring himself to write out the check for $600,000. So he telephoned the pastor and came to his office to talk about this. So walking into the pastor's office, the man begged to be let out of the covenant saying, this tithing business has to stop. It was fine when my tithe was $1,000, but I just cannot afford $600,000. You've got to do something, reverend. The pastor knelt on the floor and prayed silently for a long time. Eventually the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying that God will let me out of the covenant to tithe? No, said the pastor. I am praying for God to reduce your income back to the level where $1,000 would be your tithe. So, financial giving must be proportionate to how much you think God has blessed you. Not just financially, but in all areas of life. Further, financial giving must also be regular and consistent. But there's one more. And here it is. We need to be wise in our financial giving. We need to be wise in our financial giving. And I find that in verses 3 and 4. And when I arrive, I, I will send those whom you accredit. That's the word that I want to focus on. By letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. 
Notice how painstakingly the Apostle Paul is making sure that the collection is handled, handled with high integrity. The Greek word that is translated accredited refers to people who have been tried, tested, examined, and scrutinized. As a result, found to be genuine, true, and trustworthy to carry the financial gift from Corinth, which was in Greece, to Jerusalem, which is in Middle East, along a long journey via the Mediterranean Sea. If that's not still enough, Paul was willing to go with them himself if necessary. All of this is intended to ensure that the collection is handled with high degree of accountability and integrity. One commentary put it this way, believers should manage money with integrity. Everything we do should not only be above reproach, but other people should perceive it as such. Therefore, when you give, give wisely. Make sure the people and organizations to which you give have systems of accountability in place. For example, here at Midland Free, we have a finance committee. It has established policies to ensure finances of this church are handled with high integrity. For example, I, I am the only one authorized on staff to sign checks, but I don't know where the checks are. The finance committee receives weekly reports, a monthly dashboard, and a quarterly report which is shared with the congregation at large. Then there's an audit committee. It does the annual audit, and it's an external audit that costs some $8,000 or so. It's a very serious audit, and I'm happy to report no issues have surfaced in the nine years that I have been here. Similarly, when we, when we do missions funding, when we examine mission organizations, we are asking all kinds of questions. If any of you are interested in it, and I do have a document, it's one page, the kinds of questions that mission committee asks before any funding is provided. Therefore, give wisely that you need to know the money is used to the things that they said that they will use it for. My brothers and sisters, that's our prayer for, my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you. God has given all of this to us. Give it back to him in proportion to how you feel that God has blessed you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity to us, to us, that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, Lord. And there's nothing greater than that. As a result, we have salvation. As a result, we have eternal life. As a result, we get to be with you in heaven. And Father, we acknowledge that all that we have, all that we are, they have come from you. They are your blessing on us. Help us to give cheerfully, joyfully, happily, and generously for the work of the kingdom. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.